Hello, and welcome to Mental Health Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Lang, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Burton. In this podcast, we will talk about all things mental health. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, Liz Lang here with Dr. Mark Burton, and this week we are going to talk about stress, which, as I mentioned last week, is in part for me to have the opportunity to explain why the podcast has been kind of irregular lately, and that is because I've had a lot of stress, mainly medical issues going on in my family And so I'm going to give you the background story, just kind of walk you through what's been going on in my life because it's relatable because, you know, many, many parents deal with things like this. I mean, obviously hospitals and children's hospitals are there for a reason because people need them. And then I'm also going to explain to you why I feel like I've been able to cope relatively well with everything that's been going on in my life. Well, you appear to be doing well right now. So I am doing well I'm, right now. But I'm yes. only seeing you right now. Yeah. <laughs> and in, in general, and I won't pretend that I didn't have a moment where I broke. And I'll go mm-hmm. into that. I'll, I'm which, comfortable being vulnerable. and, and which makes it, sense. I mean, we break. You know, we... Yeah. Hard. I, anyway, tell your yeah. story because you've been through a lot. I have. A lot, okay. A lot, a lot. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> for context... My four-year-old son has ketotic hypoglycemia. So for those of you that don't know what it is, which is probably most of you, it's hypoglycemia along with your body producing extra ketones. So most people are familiar with hypoglycemia. It's low blood sugar. So it's low blood sugar. And most people, when they get sick or when they fast or when they go a prolonged period without eating their body will start to release some some extra stores to keep their blood sugar elevated. But sometimes in toddlers, they can't. Their body either doesn't do that. And so their blood sugar will start to drop below normal, which is about 60. Like if you've ever done a glucometer test, if they've ever tested your, pricked your finger to check your blood and it, your blood sugar should be higher than 60, really higher than 70, ideally. And so our son, his body doesn't do that. And now discovering this was the most terrifying experience I've ever had of my life because, and we got the diagnosis a year ago and his blood sugar dropped down to 18, which is like, scary, scary low. And he was unresponsive and we didn't know he had a stomach bug and, you know, he's our third kid. So kids get sick, they puke, life goes on and everyone's fine. Only he wasn't, he was unresponsive. And so, you know, obviously we rushed straight to the emergency room and, and they treated him and then they shipped us off to a children's hospital and spent about four or five days there getting tests done and figuring out. And the diagnosis was ketotic hypoglycemia, which means that he just can't go without eating for prolonged periods of time, which kind of worked out well anyways, because he's a perpetual snacker. He doesn't, he's not very good at sitting and eating meals as many toddlers are. He's more of a grazer and he eats very regularly. And so we have been able to manage it very, very well for months, right? So this was February of last year, fast forward to December, we have another stomach bug go through the house. And we knew going into this that a stomach bug would almost definitely mean a hospital visit. Because I mean, when 
you're throwing up, you can't keep anything down. Obviously, your blood sugar is going to drop. And so we ended up staying in December. It was, and the timing of this actually kind of worked out well. So it was right after finals. So finals ended mid-December for me, for my classes. And then at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to start transitioning into getting ready for Christmas, right? And getting everything ready there. And I'm usually really good about planning ahead and getting things done in time. So Christmas and so the holidays don't feel so stressful. I'm usually pretty good about that. But like five or six days before Christmas, I have to, we have to go to the hospital and we're there for four days which was a big chunk of time. And so that kind of really put a lot of my plans on hold. And so we got home, I think we got home like three days before Christmas. I think, yeah, just like Mm -hmm. two or three days before Christmas. And then on top of that, Curtis was sick. And so I had to do all of it myself. And so my goodness, I'm usually not like... I'm not one of those people that is just relieved and glad when it's over. But this last year I was because it was just so much. And so I figured, all right, that's it. We're good. So I also had this planned trip to surprise my mom for her birthday in Washington. And this had been months in the making. And my dad and I uh, had planned this out to surprise her. And so I flew out there January 6th. And then I'm out there for about three days and our son starts getting, he gets another virus. He starts getting a fever and he has to go back to the hospital. So this is three weeks later. And so I have to end my trip and scramble to get a flight back home and figure all that out, hurry home and go to the, go back to the hospital to be with him. And then classes start. And then I think we're thinking, okay, things are just kind of normal. We're all good. How long did he stay He was only there for like a day and a half. And that's part of what made it so hard is like I could have stayed in Washington and that made it a little more difficult (laughs) knowing that. But we didn't know until the next day that he was going to make such a quick turnaround because when we Mm -hmm. go in, we have to we can't go home until he starts eating on his own. Right. Because they have he has to go in and get IV fluids. Obviously, we get home and I start classes again. Things are starting to settle down, go back to normal. And as a result of all this stress, I get sinusitis. And so I spend about a week miserable. And so I start feeling better. And then our son, he starts getting sick again. So this is three weeks after his last hospital visit. We are again going back to the hospital. So this is three hospital visits in six weeks, which is. A lot. And well, this you know, seemed like a long one. Wasn't this a long one? Uh, and the, yeah, this time he was there for five days. And so that's why the last time there was just a random no episode, it's because we were in the hospital for, I mean, yeah, because we were there for, we went in on a Tuesday and didn't come home until Sunday. And so obviously I didn't have time to get an episode put out. And to add to everything, and maybe it's not surprising that I got really, really sick because it's just a lot of stress. While I was there in the hospital, I got some sort of nasty virus. I mean, 
body aches, cough, congestion, headache, fever, chills, all of it, like the whole nine yards. And that is when I broke. And a bit, well, so a big part of why I broke is Bill, my father-in-law, also got sick. And so he got really, really sick, like couldn't get out of bed sick. And it meant that, so Curtis couldn't come to the hospital and help me. He was also really busy with work and he couldn't take the time off of work. I have a question though. When you say you broke, are are you willing to share what happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I cried and Mm -hmm. I just kind of sobbed and I hit a point where I was so stressed that, you know, and Curtis was trying to do the best he could, right? Obviously. And I, he was getting ready to get off the phone and I just start, I just start crying and he's like, what's wrong? And I tell him, it's like, I feel, I feel like I'm doing this on my own, right? Or I am, I have to do this all on my own. I don't feel good. I'm tired. I just want to sleep. I'm overwhelmed and I'm carrying all this by myself. And, you know, it just sucks. And, you know, I hit my, it was just kind of my breaking point where I just broke down and I cried and I just, it felt like too much. And so at that point, Curtis kind of rallied all the forces you know, he called on our community at that point, right? He called people from yeah. church. He called in Bill's girlfriend, whom we, you know, we consider to be part of the family. I mean, she's very, very close to us and did everything that we could so that, you know, we could all be taken care of at home. So Curtis could come to the hospital to help me out. And really what I needed was just some solid sleep because, I mean, when mm-hmm. you're in the hospital, it's, you know, you have doctors and nurses coming in all hours of the night to make sure that, you know, your child is still alive. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it was just, it was a lot. And, you know, and I, uh, I told Curtis, like, I'm, I'm trying really hard to be strong, but you know, I'm just, I'm at a point where I'm overwhelmed and this just feels like too much. And so he's able to come just be supportive of me and bring me Dayquil, <laughs> that was the other <laughs> thing that I needed, <laughs> was was Dayquil. And, you know, that helped a lot. And so we got home and, you know, yes, we're home from the hospital. And the most important thing is that, you know, our son is, he's doing good now. He's fine. You would never know that he was in the hospital for five days. You wouldn't be able to tell at all. But we're not out of it yet. So another huge source of stress is his nutrition. He is allergic to eggs, peanuts, and dairy. And so on top of that, he's a very, very picky eater and he's very, very stubborn. And so his nutrition is pretty atrocious. And they're concerned that, you know, three hospital stays in six weeks is excessive And Mm -hmm. he lost a pound and a half from the time of his first visit to his. So he lost about a pound and a half in six weeks, which for somebody who isn't very big to begin with is concerning. Yeah. And so uh, to add to all the stress while we were in the hospital, they put an NG tube, which is a nasal gastral tube. So it's a tube that they insert through your nose and it goes down your esophagus into your stomach. So they can pump food directly. So they can pump basically liquid nutrition directly into your stomach, which is traumatizing for a four-year-old and terrible for mom to have to watch. And obviously he doesn't understand it. So he didn't leave it in there. And they're like, well, we're not just going to keep putting this 
in his mouth or putting this down in him every time he needs to eat. So they started discussing a surgery to put a GI port, which is a port that would basically, it's a little tube that would stick out from his stomach. So it's a surgically implanted device that will allow us to pump food directly into his stomach. And they still want us to consider it. I mean, because this is just isn't sustainable. And so every time we've had to go to the hospital, it's been tied to some sort of a virus, right? Fever, like he doesn't feel good. And so he doesn't want to eat, which is normal. When you don't feel good, you don't want to eat. But, you know, with this condition, that's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so we've got about one month to get his nutrition to a better place. And if we can't, then we're going to have to undergo this surgery so that we can get a good nutritional shake into him every day to get mm-hmm. to get his nutrition to a better place. And so, you know, this is a lot uh, that our family is dealing with. And, you know, we've also got two other kids who we're trying to keep things normal for and trying to run. And so throughout all of this, between these bouts in the hospital, some things that have helped me to stay what you might call regulated and to be, you know, to cope effectively is for one, I didn't neglect my sleep. I mean, as as much as possible, right? I mean, barring the hospital, I didn't neglect my exercise again as much as possible. And I have a good meditative practice. My favorite way to meditate is right before I exercise, I have a heart rate monitor. It's a, and it's a chest halter so that it continuously monitors my heart rate. And so I can sit there with this heart rate monitor on and I can just bring my heart rate down. I can relax. I'll put on calming music and just see how low I can get my heart rate. Good biofeedback. It it is. Yeah. Uh Yeah. It's great biofeedback. And so it's almost like a challenge for me, but I really, it, but it feels good and it's very, very calming and relaxing. You know, a lot of people don't realize that we actually have pretty good control over our heart rate. It it just takes practice. Yeah. And biofeedback used to be much bigger than it is now, I think. I used to do it with clients who have anxiety. Yeah. And, you know, hook them up to a heart rate monitor. If you have high anxiety, you can actually <laughs> not very nice to do, but you can force someone to uh, get their heart rate up. And we would do that with their consent and then just say bring it down. So that's a, that's a great practice. Yeah. And and people can do that just so they know our listeners know it's possible for everyone. Right. I mean, heart rate monitors are very, they're very easily accessible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so again, it's just a lot of it has to do with just deep breathing, Mm -hmm. right? Or starting the way you breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, that really is. And so, you know, I mean, it doesn't take long to figure it out, but I mean, I've been able to get so, I guess you might call, I don't know, I like to call it Zen, right? I'm so calm and so relaxed that I can have my four year old squirming around in my lap and still have my heart rate really, really low. Well, see, that's focus. And so what you're doing, this is another good thing for our listeners to understand, is that when we talk about meditation, it's not like there's one way to do meditation. I think um, there's thousands of ways to do meditation. And each person has to find what works for them. But what you're doing, what you're describing, is is exactly what meditation is for. It's about focus. Yeah. And so you're focusing on your breath and the the heart rate monitor. Mm-hmm. And so what that's a great thing that you've been able to do. Did you figure that out on your own? Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. 
That's yeah. Great. Well, I mean, because I would do, and I guess how I figured it out is because I would do like these really intense, like these very high, high, long, high intensity rides. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah. wanted to just mentally, it, it's a way to mentally prepare for it oh. is just to relax completely. I mean, it started by like, I would start like by laying down and I might start laying down if I, if I really just to really kind of get in that mode of relaxation, but I could even do it just sitting up and, and again, it's, it's a way to meditate. And so it's just learning to control your heart rate is just, it helps with mindfulness as well, because when you do feel a lot of high stress and it feels like it's too much, right. Then, you know, you can just go to that place where you just take deep breaths and you'll just, you'll naturally be able to bring your heart rate down because you're familiar with it. That's it. You t- it's, you're teaching your body a skill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's very similar to what we do with pe- with people who have test anxiety. Mm-hmm. Is you teach them how to breathe in such a way that their heart rate goes down, and they and you have to prepare. And so you can be sitting at a desk taking a test and yeah. do this, mm-hmm. and you know start to feel anxious. Your heart rate, you, you, the way you breathe brings your heart yeah. rate down. That's really yeah. great. Yeah. Now I have so because I have a Garmin computer a cycling computer that I use. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know what other types of continuous heart rate monitoring there is, but you could even do it on your watch too. I think there are a lot, as you said, it's, yeah, it's really common now. It is. Although the chest strap is probably the best is a better way to go. If you can, a lot of people don't like it, you know, cause you have to have that strap underneath, but um, yeah, it's, I think it's more accurate than the Mm -hmm. wrist. Yeah, it is. And so, well, and what I like is because, you know, uh, heart rate is obviously a big part of fitness. And Mm -hmm. if, you know, you're serious about your sport and you're tracking your fitness level, then you probably have some sort of a heart rate monitor. And so, you know, again, it's, and you can sit there with the computer and just watch and literally watch your heart rate go up and down. But I mean, again, there's heart rate monitors are very, they're so readily available and relatively inexpensive. Yeah. And so nowadays, yeah. yeah, And so it's a great way to just, you know, monitor your stress level. Because Mm -hmm. if you're stressed, you're, if you're feeling a lot of stress, your heart rate's going to be elevated and you can just check, oh, hey, look, my heart rate's high. Let me do some, take some deep breaths and calm, do some calming exercises. And, you know, bring my heart rate down. And for me, one thing that really helps is classical music well, or mm. piano music, like, uh-huh. you know, just piano music. And I, I like other types of music as well, but I get too into the music and music tends to make me feel a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like words and music, it makes me feel emotions. And that's kind of what I'm almost like the opposite of what I'm trying to avoid. And right. so I just piano music is, has a very calming effect. And so if I can get away with it, then I'll put in two earbuds mm-hmm. and listen. So I'll usually only do this if Curtis is around kind of to listen for me because it, it I can't focus if I know somebody could be around me. Like it's way too distracting. But mm-hmm. if Curtis is in the room with me, like sometimes I can go sit in his office while he's working and I say, hey, I want to meditate for five minutes. And he knows that just to listen for me. Uh-huh. Right. And so I can turn on and that really helps. And that that's really how I go Zen. And I can just really get lost and really relax 
when mm. I can put in both earbuds. I, I love, that's my favorite way to meditate, but just that biofeedback works too. And so because I have been diligent about my sleep, I haven't neglected my exercise and I've been, I've got a good meditative practice. I'm coping very well mm-hmm. with everything that's going on. You know, I mean, and even with this good coping mechanism, all these good coping mechanisms, I still broke. I still had a moment of weakness and vulnerability and it's well, okay. I, yeah, I don't, maybe it is. I don't know if I describe it as weakness. I think we all have limits. Yeah. And there's a limit to how much we can take. And I mean, as you described everything, you know, uh, son's in the hospital, you're ill, the third visit. I mean, it, it's, it does at some point become too much. Yeah. And so if you want to call it breaking fine, I think you're just reacting emotionally to what's going on in the context of your life in that moment. Mm-hmm. Another really good outlet that I have is in my, uh, my best friend, Melissa, and mm-hmm. she lives in Utah. But despite the fact that it's been, you know, three and a half years since we moved, since I moved halfway across the country, we still remain very, very close. And so we have this app called Marco Polo. Are you familiar with it? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 You can record and send it. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and we do this very, very regularly, very mm-hmm. regularly. And because we know each other so well and we're so comfortable with each other, we can send these videos at any time, right? Even mm-hmm. if we're in the middle of a conversation, we haven't responded. And I did that. And I was just real with her. And I was 100% open and vulnerable. And 99 times out of 100, I can do that with Curtis. But in this instance, I was trying to put less of a burden on him because he already felt bad enough. I mean, and eventually it, it came out, right? The, how yeah. much I was struggling. But I needed somebody that I could just be 100% real and vulnerable and say exactly like it was. And so I sent her a Marco Polo and I said, this is how I feel. This is why I hate it. This is what sucks. And this is what I want to do. And, you know, it's just this idea of knowing that somebody can listen and empathize with me. And I've got a lot of that in my life. And so, you know, those are also things that are so important to coping with stress because stress is inevitable. Right. But now you're talking about community. It's community yes. that's important mm-hmm. as well for our mental health mm-hmm. uh, and especially in times of stress. And that's, you know, one of the ways you and Curtis coped as you called on the greater community. A lot of people don't have that opportunity to call on community. And so that's going to be difficult for them. But if you have community that I think we need to call on family, yeah. extended family. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it there's no shame in asking for help, no. right? right? And so and a lot of people feel like they don't want to burden others. Yeah. But I think that we need to help each other out. We need to do more of that. You know, I think what's been lost, you know, in, in our country, maybe throughout the world, is a lot of that sense of community that mm-hmm. we need to get back. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, learn who your neighbors are. Right. Mm-hmm. And try yeah. to just be friends with your neighbor. And so that way you have somebody that you can call on an emergency. Right. Or when you really have a great need. And remember that it feels good to help people. We're mm-hmm. afraid of being a burden. But, you know, I feel good when somebody in my community is struggling and somebody needs help. It feels good to me to be able to say, 
let me help you out, right? Mm-hmm. Let me do my part because I have taken before, right? And so, yeah. you know, I've I've been the receiver of this, like, oh, my family's in crisis and and help. And people have rallied and done all sorts of great things. It feels good to give that in return. So yeah. let people and do I, that for you. And I think it's one of the benefits of uh, organized religion is yeah. often it, it creates community, but then it also creates a network. And, mm-hmm. you know, we live in Salt, or I live in Salt Lake City. And, and I'm not a member of the LDS church, but boy, is that one thing they do. They're pretty exceptional at it. Uh, yeah. As far as organizing community and being there to uh, help people. But I'm sure that's true for other uh, religious groups as well. Yeah. So the final factor that I want to bring up that has been effective in my coping with this, and that's both for me and Curtis, is that we have kept our relationship strong throughout Mm -hmm. all of this. Now, stress can have a lot of different impacts for a lot of different people. And so sometimes a lot of stresses like this can put strain on a marriage. That doesn't mean that your marriage is bad or your marriage isn't strong. It just means that, well, this is a lot of stress. For Mm -hmm. Curtis and I, we are good at rallying together in times like this. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that things like this necessarily I wouldn't say that it's like brought us closer together, right? But it certainly hasn't pulled us apart Mm -hmm. because we've been able to, as much as possible, maintain our connection. We obviously are in constant contact with each other. I mean, you know, I'm updating Curtis minimum every four hours of what's going on as we're checking blood sugars and everything in the hospital. And, you know, sometimes we'll spend time just chatting on the phone, talking about nothing when we're apart. And so, We've been able to maintain our connection. And another thing that we've done is we've given each other grace and we've been Mm -hmm. forgiving of one another. And that is so key in times like this is because when you're in these high stress situations, you're going to make more mistakes. You're going to be tired. You're likely to say things that you don't mean or say things that you maybe shouldn't have, or you're likely to forget things. Balls are going to get dropped. I mean, Curtis is when this has happened, you know, Bill and Curtis have had to manage everything without me. And there were balls that got dropped. Things got missed. And this most recent one where Curtis was doing it all himself, a lot of things got missed. I didn't get mad at him or get frustrated with him or harp on him because I know that he's carrying a huge burden. He's trying to do everything at home on top of working his full-time job. And so being forgiving and giving each other grace is so critical in times like this. Compassion. That's what I'd call it. You know, having yeah. compassion for each other. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that I think we're lacking a lot. I, I, yeah. Of course, I see, uh, as we've said before, I see couples who are struggling and often what they lack is compassion for each mm-hmm. other and the human condition and that we all, we all make mistakes at times and mm-hmm. to be compassionate each other and that's what you're describing yeah and you know because ultimately curtis and i were both just trying to cope with this and do this the best that we can and you know it's and it hasn't always been easy but we have maintained our closeness as a couple and we haven't let this in any way shape or form pull us apart and you know the other important thing too is 
that we are, we, we trust each other in terms of, you know, making these decisions. So when I was in Washington, I had to trust Curtis to make that decision to take mm-hmm. our son to the hospital. And yeah. then in this last hospital visit, you know, I had to, this decision to whether or not to do this GI tube was it largely fell on me. Yeah. And because I was there, I was talking to the doctors, I had all of the firsthand knowledge and the burden of, you know, caring for our kids because it, it largely falls on me in general. That's how mm-hmm. Curtis and I have just divided the labor. I've all, I've been a stay at home mom and he's worked full time. And so, you know, I primarily care for the children throughout all of the, throughout most of the day. And, you know, and so Curtis said, here's how I feel about it, but I will support you in this decision 110% mm-hmm. because, you know, I trust your judgment. And so we've made sure to be able to lean on each other, but we've, tried to stay on the same page and keep each other in the loop as much as possible. Yeah. So the things you brought up, you know, don't neglect your self-care, mm-hmm. sleep, exercise, meditation, and community, call on community, family or community. When I say community, I, I mean family. So yeah. Extended family. And those are the things that can help us decrease stress. But, you know, I really appreciate your description of your meditative process. You hadn't shared that with me at least it's that a, I can remember. It's a, <laughs> you may, it's a newer you, thing. <laughs> you you may have uh, shared that, but I think that's a really good thing for our listeners to understand that meditation does not have to be this complex thing. Mm-mm, no. And you don't necessarily have to listen to the guided imagery, although a lot of people uh, find that helpful. What you describe can be very helpful and easy to do. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be the same thing every time. No. If you get, I mean, no. you know, that might be something where why people maybe don't like the idea of meditation is because it just feels too monotonous. Well, you right. can change it up. You can ch- switch it up. I mean, you yeah. can do, you know, many different things. That's that's why I wanted our listeners to understand. You know, when we talk about meditation, there's this huge range of mm-hmm. what one would consider a meditative process, and you just have to find what works for you. Yeah. Yep. I mean, and we've talked about this idea of walking, you know, Mm -hmm. and meditating. And so the point is that you're purposeful and that you're being mindful, right? And so that's really what meditation is all about is just being mindful, Mm -hmm. right? So, all right. Next week, we are going to get into recovering from trauma. And maybe we'll, we'll probably go a little bit deeper into the story of there are trauma from when our son got diagnosed with this, because that was certainly traumatic, but mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that almost everybody will experience some sort of trauma at least once in their life. I think that's probably true. Yeah. So we're going to talk about how to recover from it, what co- okay. effective coping mechanisms look like, and maybe some ineffective ones. Okay. Have a good week, everyone. See y'all next week. Have a question for Dr. Burton? How about a topic you'd like us to cover? Send us an email at mentalhealthpod21 at gmail.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Liz Lang. Music is by Audio Lounge. 